what we find with the clients that we deal with who are probably you know, in the early stages. And when we say early stages, that can be anything up to three years really in business, to be honest, because it is a bit of a hard slog. (laughs) They sort of lack the rigour around what they're actually trying to achieve and it means that they're just sort of like spinning. And quite often people will come to us and they're very confused, they're very overwhelmed, or they actually just feel like they're failing. failing and they're also just putting all this stuff out there and not getting a return. Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Wilmoka Law and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture. And yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. On today's episode of the podcast, I have Jackie and Helen from Two Girls and a Laptop, who collectively have over 37 years of experience in scaling small businesses. They are strategy experts and acknowledge that every client and business is different. They specialize in business planning and developing sales and marketing strategies. They work one-on-one with women in business to give them the skills and knowledge they require to achieve their goals for growth and profit. Jackie and Helen are powerhouses when it comes to developing business and marketing strategies, and they share so many pearls of wisdom in this chat. We talk about the importance of developing your overarching why and your business vision, why you need to identify your own Catherine, that'll make sense after you listen, and why competing on price is never a good idea. Let's jump in. So welcome, Jackie and Helen. I'm thrilled to have you on today. You guys are from Two Girls and a Laptop. Can you give me a bit of an overview about your business? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Where to start? start? So um, we're like besties and (laughs) Helen and I used to work together in um, corporate Australia. So we work for Optus. For those of you that are in Australia would know that it's a telecommunications company. And for any of you overseas, yeah, it's the second largest telco in Australia. And we were both there for well over a decade. But essentially we worked together there and became really close friends and sort of guess some of you might relate we had a bit of a pipe dream that one day we would go into business together and yeah we um recruit we both left optus and did different things Helen became a yoga instructor and had an online fast function business I went and moved overseas and um, worked in email marketing over there we both started families and then one day we were back in Australia and we'd been spending a lot of time together and yeah Helen had a social media marketing business at the time and she'd sort of kept saying to me, I really see this opportunity to bring some rigour around people's business strategy and planning and marketing strategy and planning because I keep asking people for their business plan and their marketing plan so I can build out their social media strategy. And she was just getting like blank looks. (laughs) Or I ended up doing it for them. (laughs) So, yeah. So that's how we came about. So you mentioned their like business strategy, marketing strategy. Can you give me an overview? I think when you're starting a business and you're so passionate about something, sitting down and actually writing a business plan or writing a marketing strategy can be like, oh, did I really have to do this? Do you think that everyone does need to actually take the time and develop like a business plan or a marketing strategy? And is there a difference between the two? Definitely. I mean, we specialize in helping female founders and women in business obviously get clarity and that can be at any stage in their business. And certainly there's some clients that we work with who already have a business plan and they may even have a marketing plan and they're looking for some support with another element of their business. So it could be a pivot, want to change the service or product offering, or they're thinking about scaling. There's many different stages that someone can be in their business, but what we find with the clients that we deal with who are probably, you know, in the early stages, and when we say early stages, that can be anything up to three years really in business, to be honest, because it is a bit of a hard slog. 
they sort of lack the rigour around what they're actually trying to achieve and it means that they're just sort of like spinning and quite often people will come to us and they're very confused, they're very overwhelmed or they actually just feel like they're failing failing, and they're also just putting all this stuff out there and not getting a return. But what they probably just need is a little bit of time. So, yes, we would absolutely advocate that they need to have one (laughs) to actually sit down and evaluate what they want out of the business and then that will just you know, drive the plan to tell them how to get there. So it doesn't have to be, like you mentioned, something really formal. You know, we, of course, in our engagements, offer them some form of template, I guess, for want of a better word. Yeah, or, you it's know, a like, working document. Yeah, a but... format that we provide. But as long as all those elements are covered, whether they're in your head or on a napkin from a bar, you know, or whatever, you know, you need to have some forethought, I think, around where you want your business to be to be able to get there. And I love that. But one question I would say or ask would be, what if you don't know? Like, what if you've got this idea and you're at the start and you're like, I think I want to get here, but that could change in six months. Do you then just do another plan or talk me through that? One of the biggest questions that we ask and that you need to answer, you know, for those of you out there who are thinking about starting a business or already have a business is what problem do you solve? What problem are you solving? Or, you know, what pleasure are you bringing? So your business is is built around an ideal customer and that person, you know, is a semi-fictitious individual that you probably, Katie, smiling there, you probably do a lot of that with your clients. So you need to be building the whole business around a problem that you're solving for that ideal client profile. That is the backbone of everything. (laughs) I know. And I want to dive in more to that because I find that in my experience, and I work with a lot of small businesses, And even I find myself like the pushback that you have to that is thinking, but if I narrow down too much and I have one ideal customer or one ideal client, I'm going to miss out on everyone else that could be interested in my product or service. And so (laughs) I know, I know, I know I'm playing devil's advocate because that's the pushback that I get when I'm working with my small clients who are like, well, I don't want to narrow down too much because I don't want to cut off people. So tell me about what would you say to that? And let's go back actually one step. What actually is an ideal client? Like what goes into developing that ideal client? How about I take this one and you take the next step? Yeah. Before we go into that, (laughs) I also think come back Back up up. is that I think there's some other elements that the individual needs to also address before they even get to the point of the ideal and what the problem is. You know, like there's some due diligence stuff that that they can do around the concept. With the financials? Yeah, or just, you know, like we would probably always start with in terms of your overall business plan is why. So why are you in business? You know, and there's going to be some elements around financial reward, you know, whatever that is for the individual. It's going to be certain, you know, it's certainly definitely very unique. But I think it's also a great question to ask yourself because it sets the expectation around what you're prepared to do to then move this business forward and also what are your non-negotiables and what I suppose are your anchors. So, I mean, if we use our own example, um, you know, we both wanted to have financial independence within our relationships because we're both, you know, independent women who have had that for quite some time and then moved into relationships, families, becoming primary caregivers lost a little bit of that, which I don't think is unique to us. I think that's, you know, quite. No, I'm right in the middle of that. Yeah, so. You know, like I'm right in the thick of that with my kids. Mm -hmm. So we both wanted financial independence, but we also wanted, you know, we have a really strong passion to help women in business, you know, for a lot of reasons, partly because I guess we're women and also because of our experience in business. But the pleasure that we get out of working with individuals and seeing the light bulb moments and seeing you know, and hearing and getting emails from people saying, oh, my God, it's changed my business, you know, in the last 18 months I've moved to a six-figure business and those sorts of things, you know, really, really drive us. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, like, us a lot. they do set us alight. So I think that's one. And then the third one for us is family comes first. So we had a really clear vision and understanding before we started this business that it might take us two to three years to get to a point that perhaps a 25-year-old person who can work 70 hours a week could get to, but we weren't willing to sacrifice the balance that we wanted within our family life and the priorities that our family have for us. So by setting those expectations and understanding the why, 
whatever business decision we make is always guided by that. And I think it's really held true for our success. And I think and, and also when we've probably maybe at times not been able to grow at the rate we've wanted to, it's been like Helen said, like the anchor that we've said, well, this is actually what we agreed on and when the chips are down and you sort of you have those moments where you're like oh <laughs> you yeah. sort of have your why to come back to it's kind of like the passion and the flame that keeps propelling you forward and I think of you know, I love that for any other clients that we've worked with who have come to us and they're feeling you know very stark the ones when we come to the question which is the first question around the why if anything, that just changes the entire direction of the whole session because they might actually have never sat down and thought of that and put it on paper or even talked out loud. We've had quite a lot of tears at that question, haven't we? Because I think sometimes what's actually happened is we get people to fill out a questionnaire before they come, so we have all the information when we start the session. But some people, when we ask the why question, actually say, I actually don't want to do exactly all the stuff I've said. It's actually not what I want to do. I actually want to do something else. And we've just... Yeah, right. And like we've actually teased out yeah. the truth. That's because right. they've kind of been hiding the truth for themselves because of usually imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think that that why, you know, like will then feed into other elements of the business plan, which certainly the ideal customer profile is linked because there's no doubt that generally the things that you're passionate about, your client is passionate about. There's, you know, there's a there's, a, there's a crossover there. Mm-hmm but also more about your brand. And we don't mean sort of logo or branding. We mean your brand, your story, what your unique selling proposition is and your tone of voice. They're very much linked, which is obviously going to then set you in good stead for delivering on some of those marketing plans. So I think, sorry, I had to take you back, but I, I think there's that mm. and then there's, you know, the ideal client and what Jack's mentioned is probably, it's you know, so it doesn't have to be one first or the other. Like, they'll, you know, no doubt you'll have an idea for a business based on, a gap in the market that you've seen or something that you're passionate about. But I think it's really important at a first step for people to actually just take a breath if they're thinking about their business and really just asking themselves that Yeah, question. and I think just the, the final thing that hooks onto that, because what we've talked about are really the elements of a unique selling proposition. So there's why you're doing it, what problem are you solving, who are you solving it for? But, you know, if you're entering into a sort of semi-saturated market, you really, really need to think about your unique selling proposition and what actually sets you apart from all the other people that are either selling the widget that you're selling or they're offering the service that you're offering because we do see, you know, people jumping in with both feet and not really giving that forethought as to what makes them different and what know what that secret source is and the why and the ideal client all feeds into the unique selling or, the you know, the value proposition and... I think a lot of people jump into business without really thinking about that. So everything that we've spoken about today is what we would cover in a business plan. And you'd want to bed that down before you even think about a marketing plan. Yeah, I love that because I think that even for myself, establishing that why, it's probably something that I need to write down because what you were saying before was rang so true to me being like, what had this really clear vision that you wanted to start a business so that you had time flexibility in that you could do things with your kids and your family and you weren't tied necessarily to a nine-to-five job. And I'm exactly the same. It was for, you know, I've got two kids under five and I'm wanting to run a business so that I can run a business around my kids. And sometimes I'll have a conversation with my husband and you're willing to forego growth to maintain that clear vision. And sometimes I'll have conversations with my husband because I think all entrepreneurs are ambitious and they're really impatient and you can get really overtaken by, well, I want to grow and I want to get really big and do X, Y, and Z. But it's like, my husband will often come back and say, that's not the reason. The reason is to have a business that is built around our life. And so I think, would you recommend that that why is a really clear thing that's written down and that you can continually kind of look back on and clarify that vision? Yeah, house has evolved. Yeah. And I also think it's a really good point to what you say around like, at what cost in terms of, you know, recently we were working with a client and it's not uncommon that people come to us and say, I want to grow by 500% in six months. And that's a great, you know, we're definitely believers of having smart goals, you know, like something that's measurable and that's all well and good. But when you actually break down what is available to somebody as an individual and only because we work with a lot of mothers and a lot of women in business in a similar situation to us, 
we realistically know that something's got to give for you to get to that point and at what cost do you want to get there? Do you want to burn out physically? Do you want to alienate your family? Probably not. Mm. And at the end of the day, we're all our family will always come first. It just happens. So all you're going to do is disappoint yourself or whoever you've, you know, you're working with, you know, if you're collaborating or doing anything. Yeah. So I think what that does is give everybody a really good reality check to say, I still want to get to 500%, but I'm going to give myself 18 months instead of six months. And now I'm okay yeah. with that because that means exactly what you say. I'm going to have what I want. Or you've got to be prepared to cough up the money to yeah. outsource it because if you've only got 20 hours yes. to work in a business and you want to, like, you know, quadruple the output, there's levers you can pull. There's time, there's money, you know, like you can, you know, there's, but when it comes to yeah. someone's time and they have lofty goals, they're either going to dig into family time. And I also think, or sorry, this is probably a whole other <laughs> topic around comparisonitis, but mm. I think it's really prevalent in females in business in particular is we all, and we do this, have a habit of scrolling through our Instagram feed, seeing a peer launching something and going, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. I need to do that. And do you do you really need to do that? You know, like we also have a lot of clients who say, well, I need to launch a podcast. And we go, well, really? You know, like we love podcasts. Don't get us wrong. Like it's fantastic. And in an idea. I hope so. You've agreed to be on one. We do. We We absolutely do. But I think people. (laughs) No, I know what you mean though. Yeah. Underestimate how much time and also like a lot of people launch podcasts because it's sort of part of the sales and marketing plan to generate more leads. Well, I would argue that they don't. I would argue that they probably don't have the clear vision of where they need to go with the business plan and they just are executing on something they think but it might not be necessarily the best place for them, for them to put their time and money, you know. That's what I... The shiny object syndrome. Exactly, yeah. 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 So I think having a clear vision puts you in good stead to then make sure that all of the things that you are going to execute really align. That big why, it can have some financial aspects to it, but do you think it needs to have aspects that aren't financially motivated? The emotional side of the business as well as the quantitative side of the business. Yeah, because that emotional stuff will get you through when the financial is not necessarily delivering. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on now to, I guess, if once you've established your why, and before we do actually move on, would there be people at that why stage that you work with that then think, okay, I don't want to do this anymore and I want to kind of step away at that point? Usually, no, I find it's usually at the financials. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Why starts to put questions on the table? Yeah, mm. we've never had anyone not decide not to do it, not to start a business, but we have had people that have come to us to evaluate whether or not they want to continue the business in yeah. the way that it is, or whether they want to pivot. And we do financial modelling around different options, and it's usually the financials and the time audit when they realise how much time and money it's going to take that they're going to have to pour into the business to get the results in the long term that they want. Would you agree, Hel? Yeah, yeah. I think we've had some people who have kind of done the surface area stuff with the why, but when questioned, and and it could be just this is probably one of the benefits of working with a business coach is having a stranger, similar to, I guess, a therapist in some way, (laughs) physically ask you a question and having to say it out loud and having to actually really commit to it and sell it to somebody could probably, you know, like we've had a couple of people who have sort of done a bit of a 180. Well, the words are coming out there now. Yeah, and I mean, not that, you know, it meant that they didn't want to start their business, but it certainly changed the direction of where they wanted to go or what they wanted to focus on in the session with us based on that. And sometimes the competitive landscape has had a bit to play because we also cover the competitive landscape, not too deeply because we don't, we, you know, we're not massive fans of the comparison game, but you need to have your eyes wide open when you're, if you're entering into, you know, a marketplace thinking that you, you have something unique and when you actually start digging into the landscape, well, actually you don't. So it's an element of consideration. And so when, as we were talking about before, you call it an ideal client profile or an ideal target market or a customer avatar, whatever the language it is around it. But I find in my experience with working with businesses that are just getting started or even ones that are established is that often a missing link is that they haven't quite narrowed down on who that ideal client is. Can you talk me through exactly what an ideal client or customer is and why it's so important? Like why do you need to actually do the work in getting and nailing that down? 
So it's a semi-fictitious person, but in most cases it's sort of, you know, like our ideal client's Catherine with a K. So she's imaginary, but she's kind of us and she's everyone that we attract to our business. So it's a list of demographics, which is the easy part, right, the age, the location, the education, the geographical location, and also psychographics. So that's the stuff where people get a bit hung up on. So the psychographics are the things like, you know, what books do they read? What podcasts do they listen to? How are they interacting online? What are they consuming online? What's their share of wallet? What's yeah, their they're... share of wallet? Where else are they spending their money? Where do they holiday? What does a typical night in look like? Hold on, what is a typical Who night out? Who influences their purchase decisions? And, some, and people come to us and go, how the hell am I supposed to know that? And obviously you don't, but you need to do your research and due diligence because all of those things determine not only obviously if you're building your service or product offering around, but how you're going to communicate with that ideal client profile. And to answer your question before about the fear around niching down, you know, we sort of, when you say people sort of have like say, I can't afford to niche down and we sort of say you can't really afford not to because we don't have huge budgets. And as you probably find working with small business owners in the Google advertising space, it costs a lot of money to advertise to everybody. Yep. So you really want to sort of narrow your focus, but we sort of love this statement from Tim Ferriss where it's, he sort of says your ideal client bleeds over into other, you know, niches and it absolutely does just because our ideal client is Catherine and she's got two kids and she listens to the Mamma Mia podcast and Amy Porterfield and Jenna Kucha. We still attract Polly who is younger in age and at a different part of her journey, and which is our other ideal client profile, but we still attract people outside of exactly who Catherine is. Yeah. I'd like to add to that. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's the, the other benefit is, is that you will know where to find them to be able to, you know, by having all of that information, you won't waste your precious dollars, like Jack said. You'll be able to find them very easily when you understand who they are and talk to them yeah that's what I like to say is that your copy your marketing strategy it all will be defined by the person you're trying to talk to and if your copy's bland or your marketing doesn't speak to who you're actually trying to speak to you won't only repel that person but you repel everyone else because it doesn't actually have any heart to it so I think that One of the things though, when doing those questions is you feel kind of silly. You're like, I don't know. And you just avoid it. You think I'm not going to even answer those really questions that seem very. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. We sort of say you got to get intimate and that sounds a bit kinky. (laughs) We we once had a podcast and this lady was like, you need to know what margarita they order on Taco Tuesday. Like what flavor margarita? Like that's how detailed you want to get. We just had a question asked about us for some work that we did and they said if you were a scent what would you be but it was kind of like oh but it it made us really think about and it really aligned with you know we're an earthy woody tone that's you know what I mean I mean yeah but it's kind of like that level of understanding I think that the biggest things that happen for clients that we work with though that do go through this exercise with us there's a beauty in actually again workshopping this for some other people because you get the brain's trust of other people and you get to brainstorm ideas you know so that's kind of one thing you can do is reach out for a bit of support with it but I would say 99% of our clients have said that it's been the the biggest thing that has helped their business to move forward. Oh yeah Um, Katie the other day yeah an absolute turning turning point point in her business in fact her business is like she's got a retail you know business that turns over a lot of money but she said like her business almost doubled from that point that she doubled down on her wow. profile. Yeah. And, I th- and to, to the point about repelling, we would actually say we encourage you to repel people you that don't want to work, don't want to work yes. with because they don't give you joy and you end up being frustrated, you know, and, and then not having the energy or the time to work with the people you do want to work with. So we definitely, we use another analogy quite often that if you're a artisan artist who makes beautiful pottery on beautiful ceramic mugs and you spend an, you know six hours on each piece or whatever and your price point might be $150 for a coffee mug you're never going to sell to the person who shops at Ikea like why try to talk to them because you're just speaking they're never going to gonna buy your product they never are and they're never going to appreciate the work that you do so you need to find the person who does appreciate art and does appreciate what you do and they're out there you just need to re- and yeah. narrowing down. You will actually 
you know, get through the crowds of others and physically find them a lot quicker than what you would if you were going too broad. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I like to say as well because it's it will cost you so much more to acquire a customer who wants to buy a mug from Ikea or Kmart to spend $150 that it's not going to be profitable anyway. So you might convince them in the long term, but it's not going to be profitable and it's not going to give you joy either. But the benefit of then having that ideal customer nailed down is you then know what products to launch next and what to do next. So it gives you some sort of roadmap because you can continually have this person in mind when you're wanting to expand. Absolutely. And you can have more than one, but for particularly for people that are starting out, we do say you kind of need to double down on, on your number one because they're, they're the people who are going to buy your product, right, and <laughs> get you off the ground. So mm-hmm. we, we've had people come to us with eight ideal client profiles and we're like, no, 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 <laughs> write it in. <laughs> I mean, we do say don't con- try and condense three into one. Definitely have, try to have one with their pain points and their, you know, psychographics. And certainly you can evolve from there. But if anyone's stuck on this, we actually do have a free template on our website that we can we can give you the URL for at the end. So it's yes. a full tool. Yeah. It's a big deal and Helen and I talk about it a lot. <laughs> cool. I'll put that in the show notes so anyone who wants some help with that can download that template. That would be great. Okay, so you've gotten your why nailed down and you've got your ideal customer, you've got Catherine figured out. <laughs> what? Where do you go from there? Like what's the next step in developing some sort of business plan? I think getting a clear understanding on your product and pricing. So you kind of touched on it a little bit before around the product roadmap. So whether that's product or service base and reevaluating whether you need to make any tweaks based on possibly your ideal client but also competitive landscape, the market in general. And the final thing would be based around your own costs, which is kind of the next step as well, but something that people underestimate. Yeah, but um, we do like to understand whether, you know, at that point you probably just need to reassess your products and services and see if they still fill the gap (laughs) and they still solve the problem that you originally set out to do and that meets with them, but the financials would be the next thing. I think just to touch um, a little bit like on that as well, what Helen was saying with the financials is with a service-based business, obviously you've got the top line price, less your operating expenses is, is your net profit. But one thing we find with product-based businesses, the work that needs to go into the price point is so important because you've got the cost of goods sold as well. And, mm. you know, you've got the cost of goods sold and you need to add in your operating expenses percentage to understand what your net profit is. And in some cases, people just, there's just not enough fat in it, you know, and we have seen clients that are essentially losing money because they just they don't have their pricing right or they're over discounting or they really haven't done the work and they can't work out why they're not making money, but it's because they're essentially <laughs> not selling at the right price. I think there's a, I think it's kind of you could generalise it and sum it up in just you need to understand your numbers better and not to a level of an accountant. You can certainly engage with your accountant to get support with that. But there's some basics and fundamentals that we think if you're armed with that information, it allows you to then make decisions. Make decisions and also, you know, see if you do meet those financial goals that you set within your why and how long it might take you to get there. So similarly, if you know, we talked about before you know, this customer that I wanted to get to 500%, if it's a, you know, a dollar figure, you know, we've done many sessions where that's been their goal and we've worked backwards from that using data and factual information based on their business modelling and we say you can get there but this is how many sales you're going to have to make in the next six months and then you can say is that achievable based on the dollars I've got to spend to be able to promote them for, you know, time and if it's not you can say it's fine, it will just take you... 12 months instead of six months to get to that point. So it gives you information that you can, you know, that is just so invaluable for your business and for you to be able to understand at what point are you going to start to have some cash in your hand. <laughs> or do you want to take on some investment? You know, yeah. we I read a stat the other day that female founders just don't tend to get in their business and I thought, no, they don't. Like, I don't know if we've really worked with many people that have actually taken on other than family you know, they've taken money out of the family um, pot, but we don't really know that many people who've crowdfunded or actually taken on um, external investment. And, you know, we'd say if you're at a pivotal point in your business, maybe that's something that you could look at, but you need to be close to those numbers to make that decision. And I agree 100%. I think that the numbers give you 
the power to be able to make those smart decisions. And if they don't have enough fat on those prices, like you said, then you don't have the opportunity to grow with paid advertising either. So if you're trying to push too much into those margins, you actually are really limiting your growth. But the numbers thing is hands down, I see a lot of business owners as well that just haven't crunched the numbers. They don't know what their conversion rate is or what their costs are. And that's really instrumental to be able to then grow any further because you, you can't plan out those like you said, working backwards, these are how many sales I want. This is how much it's going to cost me to acquire those sales. Okay, does it make sense now? Yeah, the cash flow is a big one as well. You probably work with a lot of product-based businesses, Katie. Yeah, um, yeah. Cash flow is a big one we find with, you know, like they're sitting on 20 grand, 10, 20 grand's worth of stock. So all their cash is sitting in stock and they don't have the cash flow to move it. It can be crippling. Yeah, I think when it comes to pricing though, one of the questions could be, from someone that does have more of a commodity-based product. So they're trying to distinguish themselves in a market that might be crowded. And if they're then trying to have higher prices, how can you then justify those prices in a market that has lower prices? So brand, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was kind of where I was headed now that you've reminded me around <laughs> understanding, I guess, what your costs are and you know, and what your margins are, it enables you to play with that. So on a product-based business, you might take a hit on some old stock, understanding that you're then freeing up cash flow to be able to get new stock in. But in terms of what you're saying around competitiveness, I think that's where coming back to the start where we talked about a unique selling proposition is you always want to be competing on something other than price. <laughs> so, you know, there's definitely commodities and, you know, fast-moving goods out there that that's no doubt going to play a factor in it. You can't be ridiculously, you know, above market rate. Market rate. But if I, I think about my own personal spending in the fashion space is that I'm really largely driven, I think, emotionally by how an item look, where it's made, you know, what the company stands for. And at the end of the day, they might not be the cheapest, but all of those elements have come into play. And, and they're communicating with you where you're hanging exactly. out. Exactly. Helen's a late-night Instagram shopper. <laughs> but they're all talking to you. Exactly. And, you know, we... And playing on those, yeah, on those points that you like. It's kind of funny because I bought a pair of shoes for a wedding recently, which were over $200, right? So not an everyday purchase. I mean, I don't wear heels that much anymore, so it's probably my only heels purchase for the next three years. But when it came to the shopping cart, I had to pay for shipping and I kind of went to myself, oh, do people still charge for shipping these days? You know, because we play in a space, I guess, where quite often that's a trigger for people to, you know, get more sales or conversions or whatever. And I was like, oh, Helen, like what are you even thinking about? Like, of course I didn't not purchase them for that reason. But kind of giving you an example of, if you love this out item, you know, that all of the things Jack's just mentioned, price doesn't really come into play. Yeah. And that comes back to knowing your ideal customer. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to go after people that are cheap are price shoppers, because like there'll be certain things that I'm a price shopper on that I don't need any convincing. I know exactly what I want and I don't need, I'll go to Amazon and I'll choose the cheapest product. Yeah, yeah. But then there are other things where I am more swayed by those emotional ties. Yeah. We then have the opportunity for the brand to come into play. I think that's where social responsibility and the values, like Helen said, the values of the brand can really come into play to help you make those emotional purchases. You know, those probably fashion and consumer product brands out there that are, you know, they have a really, they're not greenwashing, they have a really sound environmental policy, you know, they are giving back, you know, those things can really start to come into play in, in the more saturated spaces, even the unsaturated spaces. But I think definitely with millennials, Gen Y, our generation, we, we want to vote with our dollar more and the non-priced elements and the branding elements are definitely coming into play and I would recommend if you're in a space that is, you know, really competitive, you need to be looking at those things. And I like to use the example of in Australia, having your branding nailed down and really channeling your customer, an example like go-to skincare. Yeah. Oh, like where, <laughs> yeah, whereas, you know, they're obviously not the cheapest brand, but their product is good quality, but it could be comparable to a cheaper product. 
but the branding is nailed down and the social strategy is nailed down and in the US probably Gossier. Yeah, the communication of go-to, like their copy, their branding, yeah. this profile, it all just culminates together. Like we keep the email examples so often. So we, we love email marketing and we keep examples of really good email marketing programs mm. and every, every, you know, two weeks we're saving one of the go-to ones because they nail it so often. And I think this is possibly why and around the marketing plan. But the other thing is when you know your ideal client is you can add value to their life. It's not always about asking for a sale as well. So yeah. we talk about the sales funnel, which is a really key element and in part of the business plan and the sales and marketing plan that we do, which identifies you know the low-hanging fruit and the areas where you're going to build an audience. But once you actually are taking a client through your sales funnel, that used to say that you need to touch them seven times before they'd actually purchase. And we've now read a stat that it's up to 22 based on digital advertising and the the amount of content we're being fed. And you don't want to be asking someone 22 times to buy from you. You want to be probably asking them seven times and you want to be giving them value 15 times. And that value can only be derived from understanding them intimately. Yeah, so I love that. Like, if you yeah. use GoTo, for an example, they send us an email and tell us what to actually do with the product. Like, you know, their whatever, their oil, their face mask. They said, this is not a face mask to make, you know, like for relaxing. This is does the hard work for you. You know, like they say, don't do this, don't do this, but do this. Yeah, wear it before you go out. Yeah. Like, wear it and go to bed. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like that, oh, right, okay, I get it. That's what the value is to this product. And you really like giving me you're giving me information, you're not just selling me something else at the end of it. Yeah. Drunk Elephant's another good one that has really good, like, value adds. Yeah. They're just giving you advice and they're not actually pushing any of their products. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're clever. They're clever brands. They've got a personality. Like, corporate communication needs to go out the window when it comes to establishing a brand because you need to really talk in the the language of your customer and meet them where they're at. It's probably a bit more, I think, in a traditionally service-based business have found that easier to add value because people are buying people and so, yeah, yeah. and and kind of they're selling informational IP in some way so they can give a bit of that away. But I think product-based businesses that are winning and that are actually doing well have really got a solid strategy around that in their marketing plan and their content plan, which is part of their marketing plan, which is part of their business plan. (laughs) You know, like, so everything that we talk about in that, in our business plan and marketing plan comes back to the ideal customer. (laughs) Yeah. And I think when you've got an online business in particular, you really need to work extra hard to make sure that because you're not actually getting to physically interact with your customer. And sometimes there won't actually be any personal interaction at all. The order will take place completely online. The only physical aspect comes when they get the product in the mail. You really need to work hard to get those personal touch points in there. So it makes up for that lack of personal touch. Absolutely. Okay, so what else do we – I could talk to you girls all day. <laughs> we, touched, we touched on the financials, which is, a, you know, like that's probably a really heavy section. We I always do it at the start of the day because – or the, or the, at the top of the – sometimes we don't always do face-to-face. We do work clients by webinar. We always try to do the why and the financials in the first session and get the really heavy stuff yeah. out of the way. I think we kind of touched on the branding side of things already and how it's aligned to the USP. And probably the next part is really about the sales funnel, which we've touched on before, and and the customer journey and how you're actually going to move people through, you know, being aware of your brand, how they're going to become, you know, consider you, purchase from you. And like you just mentioned before, the personalisation is all around the repeat purchase and the advocacy. So you don't just want people to become a regular customer. You want them to then advocate for you. So when we do the sales funnel, we obviously talk to clients a lot about getting cold people into the sales funnel or constantly, which is what you do, Katie, with your advertising, but then how we can continue to have touch points to either get them to consider purchasing from you or repeat purchasing. So making sure we're mapping that journey. And then once they actually become, you know, in your, you know, on your email list or we'd say permission-based marketing, so social media, if they're following you on your social media or if you have their email address or they've been to your website, you know, you can retarget them through the funnel and get them. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we find in working with some clients who are new or in the early sort of phases or even maybe in for a while and feel like they're just not getting any conversions or the conversions they want is that 
they underestimate the need for you to really build a strong cold audience to be able to take them down the funnel. So I think underestimating budget required to actually attract a cold audience with things like Google AdWords or social media advertising is probably the the one thing. Biggest underestimate of money. You know, I think some people spend a lot of time pushing out content to their own, say, social media platform, for example, and they might do a lot of hype around launch, you know, might have pre-launched it. They might have, you know, a really good following on their socials, but then they open the doors and they get crickets. But we would sort of say to them that outside of that small number of people following you, how do they know about you? You know, who knows about you? You really do have to continually feed the funnel with new people. I mean, we were just looking at some of our own stats the other day. For us as a service-based business model, to try and attract a cold audience, we don't go out there with a product, with a service offering, because that's kind of unique and personal in terms of what we do and probably a higher-end price point compared to, you know, a $10 product. So what we always do to attract our cold audience is to talk about ad value and we give some, we promote our blogs or, you know, a a free resource. A free resource, a content piece that will actually add value to somebody and in small business and our ideal client. You know, we've been investing in our own Facebook advertising over the last six months and we just looked at our figures the other day and we're just saying, you know, in terms of practising what we preach, just look at the data in terms of our subscribes in the six-month period prior to what six months is now and the growth is just there and it's just constantly building. It's feeding a funnel for us to then retarget them, to then talk back to them. But we have to continue to put money into that cold funnel. The moment we stop, the leads dry up. (laughs) It goes down the back end. So I think that's why doing a review on your business plan or like what you were saying before, whatever point they're in, it's good to just step away from the business and have a look at all of that sort of stuff. And by looking at your costs, you can see yourself, oh, I haven't spent, I haven't done any advertising in the last six months. Oh, my sales have dropped. Oh, you know, like you start to get all these light bulb moments of cause and effect. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Or you can look at it like we did and go, look at the growth we've had in six months. Let's double it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not all doom and gloom. Like certainly. It empowers you to make those decisions. And also what I would say to people is that you might not see the payoff, particularly if you're doing a lot of cold traffic prospecting. You might not see the payoff until three, six months down the line, but it will be there. So you can't expect to do a lot of prospecting. And this is more for lead generation type businesses. You can't do a lot of prospecting straight away and expect someone to drop $3,000 on a product with you. But you do need to nurture them through that. And that applies to e-commerce as well. If you do need to be nurturing that content side of your business and not just focusing on those direct like sales engagement related buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. What you were saying before with GoTo, you need to have that content aspect as well to add value. Yeah. If we had a dollar for every time we heard, oh, we tried social media ads once and it didn't work or we tried Google ads once and it didn't work and we're like, oh, for how long? And they're like, oh, just one campaign, like for a week. And we're like, okay, <laughs> we need to talk. Yeah, exactly. Not, you just unfortunately don't get that kind of turnaround, you know, and we absolutely know that's the case with Google advertising as well. It's and, and PR is the other the long-term play. So to wrap up, as we have developed our why and we have gotten our ideal customer, what do you do with all that stuff once you've done a business plan? Like what next? What do you do? You understand your marketing goals. So basically the business plan is where you want to go, right? Then you, the marketing itself, the execution is how you're going to get there. You know, what activities you need to execute out in the marketplace and you want to focus on that low-hanging fruit. You can't, you know, most of the people we deal with are small business owners and they just can't do everything. So, you know, what are the activities that are going to give us the biggest bang for buck? So understanding the marketing goals and then you go ahead and you know, we develop the sales and marketing plan. What do we need to be doing out there? What messages are we putting out there? How are we executing those messages to get the leads and the sales we want? And it's kind of what we've just been talking about you know, how we're going to be driving people into the top of the sales funnel, then converting them into being warm and then ultimately hot and converting them into paying customers. I think another key element which covers all sorts of marketing and it's part of the plan is the content plan and that covers anything from a social media post to a blog to a newsletter to a guest blog to a podcast, whatever it is. 
but it also is going to really be driven by your promotional calendar. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in our sessions with our clients, whether they're service or product-based businesses, is actually having the foresight to look ahead and see what key timings or product launches or Key selling day. Yeah, selling dates or industry or seasons. I mean, for us, we work with mothers, school holidays, we never launch a new product or service in school holidays. One, we're busy. Two, we know that they're (laughs) already, you know, stretched. So, and we made that mistake ourselves. We launched a new product January 1, thinking start of the year would be Great, a great idea, but it was just silly because well, everyone was on holidays. Everyone's on holidays, no one's moved their computer. That's right. So we want our clients to be off their phones over that time. Yeah. But it was a good learning for yeah. us, right? We thought, well, we didn't actually. We were just too excited about getting something out there, which you all do when we're in our early stages of business. We thought, you know, everyone's going to love it. <laughs> um, but that's how you learn in small business as well. But I think planning ahead for seasons or for industry or whatever the promotional period is, in some ways it makes your content so much easier because then you know, okay, in February it's Valentine's Day and if I sell something that's aligned to that, then that's my promotion and I just need to then create it, you know, like it doesn't have to be all too hard. It gives you the tools to be able to to then drive. That's going to be the how with your product and service. You're going to be able to define your USP, and you don't and, want to be like a two days out from Black Friday going. Gee, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, something together, and obviously you'd know, okay, it's a terrible time to advertise because everybody else is. So you yeah. want to have that forethought around, yeah. you know, if you so, some e-commerce players don't want to play in the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales, that's great, but build out your sales promotional times, other dates. Yeah, but you need a, yeah. you need a, we say you need a twelve month you know, view and then a quarterly drill down and then a campaign drill down. But, you know, we're planners. <laughs> but when you, but when you do agree, that, like, you get results, you know, like. Yeah, and you know what's coming up. Yeah, and you can, you know. Yeah, I agree. Because when you've got that calendar, you can earmark, okay, well, the promotion's not necessarily going to start on the 13th of February. It's going to start two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier. Okay, so then the planning of that needs to start four weeks earlier and then it really does drive your kind of your big roadblocks that you need to nail down well if it's a launch you know it should be probably starting eight weeks 12 weeks out depending on the size of the launch and what you're launching but certainly we do a lot of bespoke engagements for people where they come to us and they're either launching the business or they're launching a new product or service within the business and they come to us and go right I'm going to launch it next month I should come to you for a plan and we're like you should have come to us three months ago. <laughs> no, but, you know, you, when you're launching, you do need to think about if you want to get on someone's podcast ahead of your launch to talk about any product or service, you need to be approaching that person for a collaboration like eight to 12 weeks out because, you know, there's so much that goes into it. As you know, Katie, you probably, you know, you're not going to record today and then have it out next week. So there's a lot of yeah. elements that go into that. So a lot of planning. The, the best... You know, the most amount of planning that goes in gives you the best results. So I'd say probably, I agree. So um, summarising that at the end of the day, we're all in, well, you know, in this small business space, I guess, for the flexibility it provides. So the beauty of it is is we can be, you know, we don't have to be rigid. and We can pivot. Yeah, we can pivot and change. And, you know, we've had occasions where we might have had a plan for something, but something personal has come up for one of us and we've just delayed it and, Probably we would just say don't be hard on yourself. Go back to that why, you know, no doubt there's going to be emotional reasons around it and exactly what we sort of said at the start. In the tough times, that's going to get you through and give you the motivation and incentive to go the long haul. So, you know, a business plan and a marketing plan, you know, they could be called the same thing ultimately. But at the end of the day, it's your plan. And at your rate. At your rate, yeah. yeah. And Stay in your own lane. Make sure that, you know, it's aligned to what you do, but don't be afraid if you need to change it. And, yes, we like to write things down. We list girls and we have formats and templates and things that we say. But, you know, if we had a client that came to us and had all of this information in their head, it wouldn't make a difference to us. They've actually had the thoughts around it, and that's the most important thing. So, yeah, we don't want anyone to feel terrified by what we've said. (laughs) Um, No, I think it's been great. I think it's great. I think that... Like I said before, I could talk to you all day about 
the strategy and the planning, but I think the most important takeaway is that there needs to be some sort of plan and some sort of strategy around your business. Otherwise, you feel lost and you feel overwhelmed all the time. I think it's an emotional ride. You know, I have to say I had no idea on the outside (laughs) at the start how much the first 18 months would be full of highs and lows. And I'm really lucky that I have a business partner that I can bounce off. But most of the people we speak to are in it alone. And I think having a plan irons out the highs and the lows somewhat. They're still there, but you've got a map, a blueprint for one of a better, you know, word, and you're you're following it. And so I think it really helps with the overwhelm feeling. And also when you come to someone to get help, it's those extra sets of ears that you know, quite often we just have people say, I just needed to speak to someone. And quite often we have clients who have all of the information, but they just, just need, yeah, they, they just needed need, someone to tell them. Yeah, or they needed to just be able to like talk it out with somebody other than their husband or yeah. partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jackie and Helen, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you can tell everyone where they can connect with you online, and I will also have that free download in the show notes, but where can people find you online? Um, so our website is twogirlsinalaptop.com.au. It's got all our links to our socials there or you can find us just at Two Girls in a Laptop on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, Pinterest, yeah. Twitter, happy <laughs> <laughs> all the places. Yeah, all the places. But um, we're probably most visible on Facebook and Instagram, I guess. Um, that's where our Catherine hangs out, so that's where we are. But, yeah, you can um, head over to our website, like we mentioned. There's a few other resources. We also have a business review template, which kind of outlines everything we talked about today, to be honest. So people can download that and have a look at it themselves if they're looking for something to go off. So yeah, thank you for having us. Fantastic. We love talking about it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Jackie and Helen. They were absolutely fantastic. You can follow me on Instagram at katiegriffin underscore and also join my free Facebook group, Smart Online Marketing. I've got all the links to connect with Jackie and Helen in the show notes, as well as that free download that they mentioned about identifying your ideal customer profile. I will see you in the next episode. In the meantime, I would love it if you share this episode with a friend and left a rating and review. Bye for now.